from downtown Milwaukee, welcome to Money Talk with Bob Landis. Each week, professional advisors from Landis and Company Investments discuss the latest financial developments, offering timely insight and long-term perspective. This is Money Talk for the last Friday of the month, September 29th, 2023. The division-winning Brewers are in town for the last homestand of the season, and of course, it's the Cubs. The <laughs> Packers lost last night, and now they get ready for the Oakland Raiders in 10 days on Monday Night Football. It's National Coffee Day, the essence of life, and it's also National Happy Goose Day. Just to clarify, we're talking about the bird. <laughs> <laughs> the Greeks are using goats grazing on shrubbery as a way to reduce the, chan the chances of a catastrophic wildfire. Well, these goats invaded a greenhouse that cultivated medicinal marijuana, and they ate roughly 220 pounds of the wacky weed. Well, they don't know the difference, do they? <laughs> it was reported the goats developed strange behaviors after that. <laughs> South Korea's plastic surgeons are so good at their craft that many Asian patients can't return to their home country because they no longer look like their passport photo. <laughs> From Florida, after killing her 79-year-old roommate, a Florida woman doused herself in diet Mountain Dew, thinking it would erase all of her DNA evidence. Just for future reference, it doesn't. <laughs> and finally, a Michigan woman was briefly trapped inside an outhouse after she tried to retrieve her Apple Watch. She told the police she had dropped her watch in the toilet and then got stuck after she lowered herself down into it. Oh. Sorry no. to leave you with that one, but on the podcast today we have <laughs> <laughs> we have Art Rothschild, Mike Helsel, Joel Driesang, and wrapping up the week, here's Kyle Tedding. Uh, maybe a metaphor for the week, Max. The Dow Jones Industrial Average down 1.3% this week, closing at 33.509. The S&P 500 down 7 tenths of a percent, closing at 42.88, and somehow... Uh, clawing their way out of the outhouse, the NASDAQ up just a tenth of a percent this week, closing at 13,219 for the year. Still a pretty stellar year for the NASDAQ, up 27.1%, including dividends. The S&P 500 up 13.1%, also including dividends. And the Dow remaining positive, up 2.8% for the year, although the majority of that coming from dividends. You know, Art, it's a, an interesting week. We're headed into a uh, end of the month here, the end of a government fiscal year, and not every indication that the government's going to be operating in this next year here. Some signs that maybe Congress is having some trouble uh, negotiating the budget, negotiating a continuation of government operations, and that adds to the uncertainty for investors. Yeah, old saying on Wall Street, a uh, bull market climbs a wall of worry. As you've commented, you know, any number of times, this is a good year. It's been a really good year. We're still positive. Um, somehow, though, this seems to be dragging on. Call it summer doldrums, call it the beginning of the fall. But if you're focused on what's going on around us, we've got plenty of worries, um, not the least of which is that potential government shutdown, which will affect the economy, it'll affect workers, it'll affect flyers, you know, any number of uh, you know, people who want to apply for a passport, the IRS, I mean, any number of things, although some, some functions are spared. Um, we've got higher oil prices, another worry right now. We've talked before about a potential slowdown uh, in China. Um, our economy, uh, what's going on? You know, the Fed's raising rates. Well, are they going to raise rates anymore? That's been a preoccupation all year. But now the past several weeks, long-term interest rates have gone higher. And that's caused mortgage you know, rates to be their highest level in 
decades or whatever. And uh, so all these worries, all these worries. So should we be obsessed with the negative things that could be happening? Or should we take a step back and say, look at why we're investing in the first place? We invest in stocks for the long haul because over time the economy expands, corporate profits grow, and we make money. And over any you know, three, five, 10 year time period in the 32 years I've been here, that's what you're gonna find. So I'd say, let's get our heads out of the gutter, quit worrying about you know, what might happen or which likely will happen in the near future and just look ahead to when that, you know, those problems are resolved and we can get back to thinking about the good times and making more money, spending you know, from somewhere else like cash or something we've accumulated. Of course you're right, and I think that's the key, right? When we get beyond the current environment, the challenge that we face like everybody else is that it doesn't stop the questions from coming in. What's this really mean? And so, you know, I think, Mike, you I'm sure have gotten that question this week from uh, from clients on what really happens when the government shuts down? What's that really mean? Clearly there's some economic implications, but there's even some real world implications, some day-to-day implications. Yeah, I talked with some clients this week who are, uh, they are about to go out to Utah to plan a trip with their entire family to Zion National Park. And for those people who don't know, when the government shuts down, so do national parks. So I'm not gonna say their names, but if they're listening, just know I'm thinking about you guys and hoping it works out well for you because that's a <laughs> long way to go for nothing. Um, but they are stopping in Vegas, so as Art and I know, there's a lot to do there. Um, but yeah, I mean, you look at things that shut down. I mean, and some things don't shut down, um, but workers keep working, they just don't get paid. I've got a client who works for the Justice Department in DC. She's still gonna be working, but not getting paid. So. It's one of those things where there's a lot that goes into a government shutdown. You know, you see it on the news and you just think politicians arguing each other. Okay, the government shutdown, what does that mean? But it has real-world consequences for a lot of people, not just workers, but people who want to travel to national parks or take vacations to certain places. It's going to affect them. Now, I always say this, and I'm going to steal this line from our own Adam Bailey, who when the government shuts down and people get worried, I've used it this week, businesses are still open. So it doesn't mean the entire world is shutting down, just some certain government functions that may or may not affect your daily life, but it will have an impact for sure on the economy. And Kyle, last week we were talking on the show about uh, the economy in China and how uh, um, untrustworthy some of the numbers are that come out of the government as to how the economy is doing. And one of the things that a shutdown could do in this country is um, you know, the measuring of how our economy is doing. And at a time when, you know, people are on needles and pins worrying about what the Federal Reserve is going to do with interest rates, I mean, what they keep saying is that it's very data dependent. And if they don't have the data, what are they going to do? And I think to Mike's point, there is a silver lining there in that the federal government isn't the only source of data here that we have any number of university-led projects, any number of private uh, party projects that collect a lot of data on those same indicators. And so, yeah, it's helpful to have, you know, labor information from the Bureau of Labor Statistics or uh, the Commerce Department information that we get that sheds some light on, uh, on consumption. But we also get data from the University of Michigan on consumer sentiment. We also get data from 
uh, you know, the National Realtors Association on how housing uh, prices are doing and how the housing market is doing. And so I think one of the things that maybe differentiates us from that conversation last week about China is that, um, you know, we got a lot of private parties that verify that very information um, and make it a little more trustworthy than what you might hear coming out of such an authoritarian regime. And Mike, to your earlier point, uh, you know, those clients that are thinking about going out to Utah, well, the good news is Las Vegas is still open, as you said. <laughs> They're flying into Vegas. Uh, so and most they... <laughs> importantly, the lights are still on, the slots are still running. And so. And they just had a strike vote. They haven't declared a date for the strike, but make sure those workers are going to be working, you know, making up your rooms and serving you food, you know, after you get there. And so I think the, the, the critical piece here is that um, while it might not be the national parks, you can still find places to spend money. Um, I think, you know, Joel, to your point, it's going to be a little more challenging for some of the data that we've come to count on uh, to know how was this collected, when was it collected, how dated is it. Um, or is there any disruption because of the shutdown? But, you know, big picture, um, there is, there's good opportunity there uh, as we get back to hopefully a reopening later on. The flip side is also that this is the bad news being good news to a certain extent, because if people are hesitant because of all this bad news to spend or to go somewhere or if government workers aren't getting paid and so aren't spending money, or the same is true for the auto workers, you know, in Detroit or wherever, not working as much, not spending as much, it'll depress the economic data, which will make it less likely for the Fed, especially not to mention that inconsistent data or inadequate data they're going to have, it'll make it less likely that they're going to raise rates the next time around. So it's kind of a good thing. Yeah, you know, Yellen stepped up and said, hey, don't let this happen. It's not going to be great for the economy. But to your point, this may be part of what was in order to get inflation under control is a little bit more uncertainty that maybe maybe we don't want to spend right now. And so... Uh, I'm never want to see it for that reason. Never want to have the kind of thinking be, well, people are out of jobs, people aren't getting paid for the jobs they're doing because the job is necessary, even if the pay uh, doesn't follow it immediately. But you know, I think that's part of the conversation as well. You know, all of this on the heels art of what was two pretty rough months, especially for the S and P, especially for growth stocks. Um, still a strong year overall, and maybe that's the part you hold on to. But you know, the word you used, kind of. Uh, in your email to the group here was yucky. I think that's a pretty, uh, a pretty apt description of what we've gone through the last couple of months. Yeah, and that's the way it feels. I mean, August was a negative. We were still up probably close to 20% on the S&P by the end of that month, whatever it was. And, and now we're down about 6%, I think was your figure, you know, since then. Um, what I like doing with my clients, because they're, they're going to be looking at those numbers. Fresh numbers are going to come out uh, in just a couple days. And and, and September's not going to look good. So don't look at it, okay, or, or look at it. Understand that we're still positive for the year, as you suggest. But then if, if you, you're hooked up to our Morningstar portal, go back and look at three years. You've made money over three years. Most people have. Um, then go back and look at five years. You've probably made more over five years. And by the way, that five-year time period includes two bear markets. Bear markets occur on average every four and a half years. I've been here, I'm in my 32nd year here. There's only been four. Two of them just happened. So your five-year numbers would have been better had we not declined 20% or more than 20%, 30 on one occasion and 25 on the other within that five-year time period. But then go back 10 years. And over 10 years, if you haven't made any money, look for a new advisor. Because, you know, there, there's money out there to be made over long periods of time. That's, you know, and, and we do it in a methodical way that works consistently, hopefully. Um, and then go back even further. You know, you're, you're investing 
in the stock market to make money over long periods of time. Over short periods of time, the price you pay is you lose periodically. So this is just one of those times. That's why we don't put everything in the market. Well, I appreciate your confidence in our 10-year numbers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the ones that, I've looked at, at least. Yeah, so. With respect yeah. to the 10-year, the other 10-year number that seems to have popped this week is the 10-year Treasury and some signs that perhaps higher for longer is making its way into the, the further end of the yield curve. Um, I want to be clear that I think, you know, to your point, Art, you know, we look at stocks long term, well, all of a sudden, the bond market's starting to show signs that there's some opportunity there as well. And so I'm not uh, I'm not throwing all my eggs in one basket here, other than to say that, yeah, long-term stocks are the opportunity, but we finally have some pretty unique and decent opportunities on the bond side of the portfolio. So I had the pleasure the past couple of weeks to attend a seminar in which there were some tremendous speakers, one of whom is sitting here, Kyle Tedding, and the other, um, you know, Bob Landis. Of course, Dave made some good comments as well. And, and I'm listening to these guys talk about the bond market. But then I'm looking at it from the perspective of my clients, who are just so annoyed. Last year was the worst year in history, you know, for, for bond investors. Um, this year started out looking better. Those, those intermediate-term bonds were doing great. And then here the past six weeks, two, you know, I think it's about six weeks, whatever it's been. And especially, especially the past week, we've had yields going higher. Um, and every day we're reading and every day we're hearing we're going to peak. We, it's a great time to lock in rates. But it just hasn't happened yet. And the fact of the matter is there's too much speculation in the bond market as well as the stock market. And not to mention the competition that bonds are having from cash. Cash is wonderful right now. You can, there's an article in the Wall Street Journal today or yesterday or something. Uh, one of the major money center banks is offering 6% yielding CDs if you buy, it was a, I forget, it was a hundred, no, it's more than that, 100,000, I forget what the number was. It was a big number. But if you have less than that, maybe it's a million, okay, the clients with less than that, they're offering lesser amounts. And we, we can get money markets that are paying over 5%. So, yes, over a long period of time, it goes on tight. If we can lock in, if we can lock in you know, yields of 45 to 5%, we may be looking back and saying this was an ideal opportunity. But I'm, I'm still a little bit concerned about the potential for this, this interest rates being higher for longer and how much higher they can they go. Perversely, every day we're reading about mortgage rates being at their highest level in 16, 20 years or whatever, and the older among us, elders among us, there are a few, um, one even older than me sitting in this room, but uh, I remember how great it was to be able to get mortgages at 12%. So I think the economy will adjust ultimately to higher interest rates if they have to stay higher for longer. I'm just not sure exactly when you know, we're gonna start saying interest rates go down. And that, that's definitely a concern. Well, and I think the catch is, just like in the stock market, we're not trying to time the bottom or the top. We're suggesting that now is a better opportunity Absolutely. than it was a year ago, two years ago. And so I think the key there is um, you're going to be happy if you get in today. You might not be happy tomorrow, but you're going to be happy six months, a year, five years from now that you did that. And so uh, it is absolutely uh, I think the the corollary to stocks, and the, the great news there is when we get past some of the immediate pain, stocks and bonds look very different, and that's the benefit. Mike, Art brought up the seminar. I know you uh, had plenty of observations as you, uh, you know, kind of sat sat in the back and saw, you know, what people were reacting to, what some of the comments that uh, came from that were. Any takeaways from you from the seminar? Oh, uh, yeah. The first two were the cookies were amazing, and the <laughs> second was I didn't realize Bob had such a hatred for Wayne Gretzky 
If you don't know what I'm talking about, watch the video when it comes out. You'll know. But in all seriousness, yeah, there was um, the seminar was great. I got again, Artery did it, but I got to commend you, Kyle. You're fantastic. Bob did some good stuff, and so did Dave. Um, but yeah, two takeaways I had that actually clients brought up to me after, and then I've kind of heard from them in the, in the subsequent days were um, they really appreciated um, what Bob said on China. I know you guys touched on it a little bit, but with China being in the news as much as it is, a lot of what sh what investors should be looking at gets lost in the wash and the kind of the political rhetoric back and forth. And they really appreciated kind of uh, Bob boiling it down to just simple facts and what it means for them and the economy. The other thing that uh, always gets a big response, and I one of the things I like doing is kind of really watching the room to see what really pops with people. And we've done it every year, but it's always good to be refreshed. And Kyle, you did this year with the efficient frontier curve, because while our clients know how we do things, it's always important to remind them visually, like why we do what we do and how we invest their money, because we can talk all day long, but for a lot of people, they're thinking about other things. Like I've had clients that I know have already zoned out on me because they're thinking about where they're going to lunch after, <laughs> after we're done. But for you to put that graph up there and explain it perfectly, it always receives such a good reaction from people because it just triggers something in their mind. Okay, now I know when I go in to see Art or you or any of our advisors, I know why they're doing what they're doing. And I just, again, those are like two takeaways that I saw the crowd kind of really, uh, really gravitate to. Well, you both are far too kind to me. Uh, but know that um, that seminar video, for those that are interested, should be available within a few weeks. It's quite a project to put all that together. Many thanks to uh, Jason Skuglik, who's going to be doing that hard work of cutting it down. Um, and to the extent that uh, we have access to that video, you'll see it in our newsletter. You'll see it in your statements. You'll see it in a variety of forms uh, on our website, on our YouTube channels. So stay tuned to those uh, as uh, as the weeks progress here, and we'll have some updates on uh, on what to expect. I just wanted to note too that on the website, um, Mike's clients can uh, look under the directions tab, and on the bottom of that, we actually list some places to go to eat. So you don't have to <laughs> while you're zoning out. I'm not seeing all of them, but I have. While seen you're a zoning out with Mike, you can actually think of specific places. And no kickbacks <laughs> to Landis and Company from any of those restaurants no. for being listed <laughs> on the site. So. <laughs> Joel, uh, a pretty uh, good week overall for economic data in particular, some consumption numbers that included some inflation data. Inside. Yeah, you know, and I just looked, so I've got nine indicators for this week, and five of them were from the government. So you're right. I mean, so some of these things are coming from the National Association of Realtors, from uh, S&P, um, Case Schiller, Home, you know, CoreLogic, whatever that whole group is, um, the University of Michigan. Uh, yeah, so we've got some other things in there. Um, but, yeah, um, there, there were a, f a few on consumer stuff, and that's interesting. So, again, we know that consumer spending drives 68% of, of the GDP, and um, we had news today on Friday from uh, th the, the Commerce Department that personal spending went up 0.4% in the month of August. That's down from what it was in July, but it's it's still pretty strong. It's a good indication that that driving force in our economy is, is still going. Now that compares to 
um, four, 0.4% also of, of uh, income. So there was no gain there. But um, the, if you adjusted for inflation, it turns out that a lot of that 0.4% was because prices are higher. So if you adjusted for infla inflation, it was only 0.1% increase. We also had a report on uh, Thursday, an update on the, the actual GDP numbers. And that's, uh, that's a whole bunch of information that they keep collecting. And uh, they actually report it three times. And they revise it as they go along. And this was the last revision of what the economy was doing in the second quarter. And what they found was that consumer spending slowed down a lot from their first measurements. So what that means is if people aren't spending as much, they're saving more. So the, the rate of, of saving for, for people has gone up. And that could be a good thing. If we do go into a recession, which there was a report again this week from the conference board expecting a, a soft, in, uh, what would they call it, a, uh, a shallow contraction in the first half of 2024. If that happens, it's a little easier and it's not going to be as uh, catastrophic if people have money saved. And some mixed messages on maybe consumer confidence, consumer sentiment, a little bit of an uptick on the sentiment number, a little bit of a downtick on the confidence number, always some uh, confusion as to why we have so many different ways to measure the consumer. But I think, you know, given the, the critical nature, important to have multiple ways to look at it. Yeah, so the conference board comes up with the consumer confidence number, um, and that was down for the second month in a row. And that's where they found that actually um, expectations are below a point at which historically um, there's usually a recession within 12 months of that. Although that's happened a number of times in the last year and we didn't have a recession yet. So, um, you know, some of that is, you know, you can't drive by looking in the rearview mirror. Um, and the other, the other number today was from the uh, University of Michigan that was on consumer sentiment. They actually found that inflation expectations uh, are actually at the lowest point in more than two years. And that's a good thing because people are feeling a little bit better about um, how the economy, how what the Fed has been doing is getting things under control. Well, with a tough Thursday night game for the Packers and a loss to the Lions, uh, I think we can celebrate uh, the, the Brewers uh, National League Central uh, Division Championship. Uh, O&H down in Racine's doing a blueberry and lemon kringle uh, in honor of the Blue, uh, in honor good. of the Brewers Championship. So we may have to pick some of that up for the office. Uh, beyond that, a big win for the Bucks in, uh, in a big trade. It's a big week overall for Wisconsin sports and Milwaukee sports. So plenty to, uh, I think, pay attention to as we transition more fully into fall. Uh, plenty to keep our eyes on as we look ahead, whether it's the government shutdown or the Brewers run here in the championships. Hopefully similar outcomes for both. We get victories uh, and uh, can continue on. But know that those are all things we're keeping our eye on. We enjoy doing the program for you. We enjoy talking about it. We'll talk to you again next week. Thank you for listening to Money Talk with Bob Landis. If you have a financial question you want answered on next week's show, email it to moneytalk@landis.com. To keep informed throughout the week, visit our Money Talk page at landis.com.